Hey everyone, welcome back to Beyond the Bar podcast. I'm your host, Denise Tova. So today you are in for a treat as I sit down with Lee Rosenberg, one of the top family law attorneys on Long Island. He's also principal at Saltzman, Chetkov and Rosenberg in Garden City, New York. You know, Lee is a man who wears many hats. He's obviously a highly experienced uh, attorney. He's a prolific writer. He's a devoted father and a husband, and he's a great musician. He is just a personality you are going to want to know better. Lee, welcome to our podcast. Thank you, Denisa. It's a pleasure for me to be here. I'm not sure about the uh, great musician part, but I'll take the rest of the accolades any day. So, you know, I, I do have a couple of events in mind that you shared with me. We, we chatted briefly, um, and, and I'm curious. So you originally went to teach, you originally went to college to teach social studies. And so how did that, and also discovering your father's yearbook influence your decision to go into law? Well, so yes, I originally was going to teach. Uh, I enjoyed social studies and history. And uh, by the time I got to my junior year of college, I wasn't sure that I really wanted to do that anymore. And all my friends seemed to be taking the, the, the LSATs. And I said, okay, well, let me give that a shot. And I did and ended up uh, in law school and uh, still was not sure exactly what area of law I was going to practice in. Um, my father uh, was a builder. And, um, uh, you know, when you mentioned his uh, yearbook, I actually did not find the yearbook until after my father died. So I was already a practicing lawyer in the matrimonial field. And, you know, my father passed away in 2003. <clears throat> and um, but I went to law school, came out and I was doing real estate law. Uh, I was doing that in Queens, uh, landlord tenant. Uh, with a little bit of matrimonial, a little bit of personal injury, and then I ended up going from Queens out here to uh, Long Island, and I was hired essentially to do uh, real estate work. Uh, the firm uh, represented Barclays Bank at the time, and uh, we had multiple closings going on throughout the day, sometimes multiple closings going on simultaneously in different conference rooms. And then I found one day I was doing a lot of litigation. I was in court, in family family court. I was doing personal injury. And I went to Bill Salzman at the time. And I said, hey, listen, you know, I was hired to do real estate and I'm doing all of this litigation. And he said to me, well, do you have a problem with that? And I said, I don't know. I'll let you know. And next thing I knew, I was doing no real estate and I was doing all litigation and ultimately all matrimonial uh, and family law litigation and um, you know have not uh, really looked back uh, ever since um, but to go back to my father's yearbook uh, after my father had passed away I had found that you know my father uh, and both my parents from Brooklyn and my father went to Boys High and he graduated in 1941 and I found his yearbook and in the yearbook it said that his um, ambition was to go to be an attorney. And I had no idea. Um, I, it, I obviously didn't have a chance to ask him about it because he had already passed away, but it's, it's just kind of, kind of a full circle kind of thing that ultimately, even though we didn't discuss it, I was really uh, fulfilling the ambition that he had and never got a chance to accomplish because 
1941, World War II breaks out. He never goes to college and certainly did not go to law school, but he self-educated himself and uh, knew a lot about a lot of things. And, uh, but, you know, here I am and uh, who knew? Yeah. Wow. It's carrying on almost like his, his, his legacy, um, if you will, Apparently an unspoken so. one. Yeah. Wow. You know, we, we talked about how many cases are emotionally laden, obviously, uh, given the nature of what, what that is. You mentioned that you compartmentalize to handle the emotional aspect of your job. How do you balance that with not losing empathy for your clients? Well, you know, I tell clients that I can't ride the emotional roller coaster with them because obviously a divorce or a family law situation is amongst the most stressful things that a person can go through in life. And because of that, one of us has to think clearly. Somebody has to be having a perspective that is relatively dispassionate that has the ability to choose right from wrong, the best course, and while it's certainly the end result is the client's final decision, settlement, trial, terms, those kinds of things, during the course of the matter, because there is so much emotion involved, at the very least, I have to be the one who's thinking clearly. And you know, I will tell clients right from the get-go, because you have to manage their expectations, and I tell them, that they will get the truth from me from the day we meet till the day we part ways. And if that's the initial consultation, so be it. But I'm not there to tell them what they want to hear. I'm there to mm. tell them the truth as I see it, whether they like it or not. And if they're looking for someone to tell them something else, then I'm sorry, but I'm not the person for them. So you have to be objective. You have to certainly be uh, empathetic, as you say, but you also have to be truthful and try to guide them uh, down a path that is hopefully not only successful, but uh, the, uh, uh, the best result um, based upon the facts and circumstances that you're dealing with. That makes a lot of sense. Um, you, can, you can empathize, but you do not need to project your own personal self into the situation because they are essentially leaning on you to guide them, to advocate, and so you, you have to sort of detach yourself emotionally, if you will. That doesn't mean, you know, you, you, you don't have feelings. Um, and, and that, that right. is an interesting discussion that I have on these podcasts with, with other practitioners. Um, you are one of your other many hats. You are a prolific writer. Um, and the one publication that I'm personally familiar with is you're the editor of Family Law Review, which is a prestigious publication of the family law section of the New York State Bar Association. But generally, um, if you think about all the different pieces that you have authored, you've written, which one would you say you're, you're most proud of and, and, and why? Well, that's hard to say because I've written quite a lot, as you know, and thank you, by the way, because uh, uh, your article uh, appears in the most uh, recently published issue of Family Law Review. Uh, so I thank you uh, for that. Um, I think that um, what I have found and I believe that 
in doing what I do, that I have this bizarre notion that I have the ability to make a difference, uh, not only for um, my clients, but for the practice of law. And whether or not that's flight of fancy or not, um, um, it's something that I believe that I can do. And if I can do that, whether it's in the courtroom or by writing, um, I find that uh, very satisfying. Um, few examples. Uh, I wrote on um, no-fault divorce quite a bit before it was finally enacted. Um, I wrote on maintenance guidelines uh, when they first, when it was first enacted, and um, found that one of the uh, pieces that I had written was actually uh, referenced in the first appellate division decision that addressed the flaws in the statute. Uh, a case called Kira v. Kira out of the first department. Um, I know that I've also been cited on various issues by the New York State Law Revision Commission. Um, and so those kinds of things, I guess, bear out that not just me, but those of us who believe that they can make a difference actually can. Um, there are some laws that have uh, been tried to be passed most recently in Albany, and I was amongst a group of uh, great colleagues who went up to Albany, and we were able to kind of push back uh, on some of these, uh, uh, one of these particular um, proposed pieces of legislation that was not particularly good, and we were able to hold that off. Um, I, I really enjoy the collaboration. Uh, with 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 my colleagues, and so those kinds of issues, certain issues relating to children um, uh, that I've been able to uh, participate in and, and, and help and, and lecture on, uh, so those kinds of things. It's uh, really hard to pinpoint, but those are a couple of examples. There are uh, different channels where you can you can you can express that that passion um, that you have. Um, yeah, I did just like know, what I, usually. Usually, when I write on on something, uh, it's usually something that that annoys me, uh, something <laughs> that I see, uh, that is in a court decision, something I'm working on, and I find that it's just wrong, <clears throat> or or uh, a court has made a decision that that uh, uh, I, I find uh, um, incorrect, uh, you know, in some fashion, or. Uh, correct in some fashion, and it spurs me on to action. I love it. It's it's one voice at a time. When you say you you really are trying to make a difference, it is not just a lip service. You know, there are many people who complain, but they never participate in in sort of changing, right? Making 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 changes. Um, and so what I'm hearing is okay. If I'm if I'm observing something can be done differently, I don't agree with something. Something is triggering me. I do something about it, uh, whether it's writing or speaking. Um, so I, I now I understand better what what you mean by making a difference. It, it, this is not just a just a tagline. You truly mean it. Yeah, and uh, you know, obviously I'm not the only one, and I'm sure you've spoken with many of my my, my colleagues. Um, Yes. I believe there's going to be a piece in the New York Law Journal that I worked on with several of my colleagues 
while we were in uh, Washington, D.C. for the uh, AFCC AAML conference on the advanced issues in child custody, and that's the Association of Family and Conciliatory Courts and the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers program. But a, a bunch of us were speaking in person and or emailing back and forth because there was a an item in the New York Law Journal that uh, um, cited uh, incorrect law, and so we collaborated, and that should be coming out. But it's another example of something we see that is wrong and needs to be corrected. 2020 was a tough year for you uh, with the loss of your longtime law partner and paralegal. How did you keep your vision intact, you know, during during such trying time? Well, 2020 was a tough year for everybody. Um, a tough year for families, <clears throat> you know, one of those situations where even families who were in great relationships had difficulty. Certainly families who were under stress had harder times and, you know, keeping the the top on a boiling uh, uh, pot has to explode at some point in time. And we saw a lot of litigation coming out of the pandemic. Um, you know, we had some losses uh, in the office in 2020, but I mean, essentially, um, I made the decision uh, that um, we were just going to do what we needed to do because First of all, for me personally, I'm responsible for a lot of people in my office, and they have families, um, and I'm responsible for uh, the well-being of the people I represent, and I'm responsible for my own family. And so the choices were to kind of sit and contemplate with doing nothing or to just say, okay, let's go. And um, you know, I think I was home for about a week. And um, that was all I can sit and work from home for. And then I was like, okay, I'm going in the office. I may be the only one in the office and having everybody else work remotely, but so be it, I have a job to do. I have the doors are not closing, that's certainly not an option. Um, we had a lot of custody problems amongst uh, uh, people during the pandemic. Um, some people using the pandemic uh, to uh, restrict access to another parent. Um, you know, certainly when the um, vaccine started rolling out, we had a lot of differences uh, in terms of one parent saying yes to vaccine for children, others saying no. Uh, Certainly, there was a lot of politics involved in that, a lot of misinformation. And so there was a lot of litigation, uh, especially because the courts, while they were open per se, you could not file a new divorce case, for example. It had to be exigent in order to get your foot on a new filing uh, um, in, the, in the courts. And so there was a lot of that. So, you know, again, you can do nothing or you can do what you need to do. You became a dad at age 50, I think, <laughs> and you are a very involved dad. Uh, and you uh, shared yeah. with me, you, 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 have a, you have a great, great bond with your son. It, it almost sounded like he, he is an old soul. But you said something to him 
if I if I remember correctly, that you said I'm your father, not your friend. What what is that about, and and how does that, if at all, translate into into your practice as as a family lawyer? Well, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, I was a father for the first time at 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 fifty. Don't relish the uh, the the ongoing uh, fight against uh, <laughs> against getting older, but we do what we can. <clears throat> pardon me, and um, you know, try and stave off the hands of time as as best we can. And uh, certainly, cop to my own vanity. That's you know certainly without question. Uh, just ask my wife. And um, but, <laughs> I, uh, I just yeah, I mean, I mean, I've got a very uh, 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 precocious and smart child who you know gets the best from both my wife and I and uh you know because he's the age he is and you know he loves his gaming and all the rest of that stuff and you know at one point in time you know he just out of what he's used to doing with his friends referred to me as bro or bruh and uh I was uh you know I was like listen to me carefully don't bro me don't bro me I'm your father I'm not your friend from school and that's how it's going to be. I love you, but don't bro me. And uh, uh, really, you know, I kind of parent to a great extent much differently than how I was raised and parented. And it's a matter of a different uh, generation of uh, of upbringing. I certainly had a very nice upbringing, but. Uh, it, was not the uh, hugs and I love yous and and the uh, effusiveness of uh, of uh, of uh, uh, love that uh, uh, that I engage in with my son. My wife, to the contrary, grew up in a very loving household with the I love yous and the hugs and all the rest of it. Um, but I tell my son that I get all, he gets all of that that I did not necessarily get when I was a child, even though I had a very good upbringing, it was just different. And so I think, you know, everybody's life experience informs how you then change as you grow. Stagnant behavior and an unwillingness to be self-aware is not helpful for anybody. Um, It's, not always an easy quality for people to 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 come upon, but you have to be able to understand uh, uh, what you need to do, and you take your life experiences. Now, some people refer to it in some ways as confirmatory bias. For example, um, well, everybody comes with their own biases. The questions are: the question is, do you recognize those biases, and what are you going to do about them? And right. so uh, I recognized that um, I needed to and wanted to parent in a different way. And I think because I started out as an older parent, you know, when my son was born, I was chair of the Nassau Matrimonial uh, Committee uh, in the Nassau County Bar Association. I was on the board of directors of the Nassau Bar. Um, I was involved with Family Law Review. and uh, the American Academy of Matrimonial Lawyers. I was traveling, I was writing, I was tra- I trying cases. Um, I had a, a very um, 
extensive uh, a practice. You know, I was running the practice. I had the, the vast bulk of all of the cases in the office and I was running everything. And um, so initially, and you know, my, my, my son, when he was born, there was some respiratory issues and he went uh, to the NICU uh, from the hospital he was born in uh, over to Cohen's at LIJ. And, uh, you know, I got in my car and I actually beat the ambulance over there. But, you know, I still took off probably a total of three or four days all told when my son was born. And I remember coming out of the hospital and calling Bill Salzman at the time and, and uh, saying, don't worry, you know, I'll be in the office tomorrow. And I, I got a matrimonial law committee meeting. And Bill said, what are you doing? I said, what do you mean? He goes, you're not getting this time back. Smarten up. And, you know, it took the light bulb kind of to say, okay, because I was very old school in terms of, again, how I was brought up. And, you know, my father was the, you know, uh, business person and my mother was home with uh, three of us. And really, that was my frame of reference. I had a job to do, and I was going to do it because I had responsibilities, not thinking, hey, wait a second. <laughs> I got other responsibilities, including my wife, who just had a C-section, and my son, who was about to go to the NICU. And so a bit of an epiphany and saying, okay, um, I got to rethink this a little bit. And so you do. And that informs how you convey responsibility as well to your clients. Because that's, for me, my favorite thing to be is to be, is, is to be my son's father. And I tell him that when he was a little baby. What's my favorite thing to be? My dad. Right. And sometimes I'll just say, okay, I have a question for you. I know, I know. And so he remembers that. And really, that's our function. We brought, help, helped bring someone into the world. We have a responsibility. Wow. You took it a step further um, because you recognize that you've accumulated certain preferences and, and um, certain biases like we all do through life and and you're right you have a choice to make you can you can bring it into your new relationship into raising your children into your practice but it will catch up with you um and instead of recognizing um okay all right this is this is not my past i, I am not my parents and and uh and you know sometimes it takes a certain event certain wake-up call um, uh, so it sounds like you, the birth of your son was that defining moment for you. Um, and you truly are making a difference, even on a, on a personal front. Uh, staying, staying with the family, I understand you're a very musical family. I understand that you've been playing guitar, I think, since the age of 10. Your son plays, your, your wife plays, is that, is that right? Uh, yeah, and you know, Parenting wise, you know, I, I certainly do not mean to come off as if I take 
anywhere near the lion's share of credit. I mean, my, my wife works full time. My wife's an optician and uh, she's a phenomenal parent. And I don't know that, you know, because of my schedule, um, and this also gets conveyed to to those of my clients who you know come in and they say you know I want fifty fifty time, hmm. and I'll say to them, can you do fifty fifty percent of the time? Because if you can't, don't ask for it because you're going to be disappointing your child or children every day when you can't do it. Yes. And I know that I couldn't yeah. do what my wife does. Um, and sometimes uh, you know I'll say to my I'll find myself yelling at my clients and I'll be like, why do I care more than you do? Why am I yelling at hmm. you? Because you're not listening, because you're doing the wrong thing. So smarten up. That being said, to answer your question, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I've been playing in some in some ten, and I've got a lot of guitars. You know, it's that that old saying about you know, do you really need another guitar? And the answer is, eh, not really, but it is what it is. Um, I actually had to sneak sneak a few in the house, but I got caught. Um, but um, yeah, so my son plays keyboards. And um, I st he started out playing drums probably when he was four or five and then didn't like doing that and then navigated to keyboards. And uh, he's very, very good at it. Um, my wife doesn't play anything anymore, but, you know, she played uh, violin, viola, stand-up bass. You know, my father-in-law plays uh, guitar, mandolin, banjo. So wow. hopefully there's some degree of musical ability that is uh, permeating through uh, through my son, um, who seems <laughs> to have both sides of the brain in terms of the mathematical and and artistic. So uh, um, wow. he's great. He's great. That is that is awesome. You know, music runs through your veins, all of you. Um, that is so much fun. So Lee. What would be the, your final words of wisdom that you would love to uh, impart on to incoming attorneys, you know, to help them build a rewarding career, not just to maintain a job, because this is not a job. There's so many layers to what you do. Right. And, uh, you know, I tell lawyers or young lawyers or law students, it's not a job. It is a profession. There is a difference. Um, this is not nine to five. Um, and I, I like young lawyers. I always have. You know, there were some lawyers who were uh, uh, very established, um, who were very kind to me um, when I was kind of starting out, uh, and they didn't have to be. Um, and it's kind of like a pay it forward kind of thing. Um, but I like young lawyers and, you know, sometimes if I'm in court and I've got somebody who's you know relatively inexperienced and I'll, I'll say, don't do that. You don't want to do it that way. That's, that, that's a mistake. Don't take my word for it, but here's the law. Go check with your boss and validate what I'm saying to you. I don't want you to do anything that just because I'm telling you. But what you're doing is a problem. Don't create a problem for yourself, but check it. Because um, nobody wants to hurt someone, you know, by, by, by doing this. Uh, you certainly have obligations to your client, but, but you don't want to put someone in an untenable position. Um, 
but you know, there's all kinds of lawyers. There's certainly bad lawyers, and a lot of those dabble in this particular area, and you can't dabble anymore. Uh, it's too, it's like, it's like medicine. You can't, you're specialized. There are very few general practitioners because there's too much to know. There's too many nuances. And we always find problems when somebody tries to dabble in this and it creates havoc. You know, it's impediments to settlements. You got unnecessary litigation. It makes the judges crazy. It makes me crazy. <laughs> um, but, you know, there are bad lawyers. There are okay lawyers. There are lawyers who have their function. Uh, it used to be there was an inside person and an outside person, a lawyer who would spend the time doing paperwork, and then there's the outside person who would either bring in business or or um, or go to court and try cases. You know, I'm fortunate that I do all of it and I've done all of it, perhaps to my mm. mental detriment, <laughs> depending <laughs> on who you ask, uh, um, for a really, really <laughs> long period of time. Um, but then there are lawyers who are good lawyers and great lawyers, and then the lawyers who want to make a difference. And I always want to know, which one do you want to be? Because if you want to be the kind of lawyer who wants to make a difference, if you want to be a great lawyer, it takes effort. It takes commitment. Um, and when you have that, you make a positive difference in the practice. You make a, pos a positive difference in a courtroom. You make a positive difference for yourself and your own life and your family's life, and you make a difference for your clients, for their families, and for a system of justice. So what do you want to be? Great advice. Great advice, Lee. Thank you so much. This has been uh, very enlightening and uh uh, to get to know you, uh, some of your layers, and, and thank you so much for sharing your journey, your wisdom, and really passion for uh, law and life. Well, it's my pleasure. I am happy to be here with you as always, and I will see you around in the courthouse or at the Bar Association or in the pages of Family Law Review whenever you want to submit something. <laughs> Thank you so much. And to our viewers and listeners to find out more about Lee Rosenberg, click on his bio link below. And don't forget to hit that subscribe button on our YouTube channel, Beyond the Bar Podcast, and follow us on social media channels. Until next week, stay curious and inspired.